It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from the first one with DJ Khaled, a new podcast only available on Amazon Music. What's up, y'all? This is DJ Khaled, and this is the first one. I talk to the most iconic artists on the planet about songs that didn't change the game, but changed their life. We hear from all the A-list music stars like J Balvin, Nas, and Kelly Rowland, who tell their stories about the first hits that took them to being overlooked to being overbooked. Join me every Thursday, only on Amazon Music. Who they think you're gonna beat them bangles? It is the Locked On Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, Andy Dalton has been named the starter for the Cincinnati Bengals going forward. Our own Joe Goodberry has a new article up over at The Athletic you can go check out in a very timely fashion. Pump that out quickly, huh, Joe, about why the Bengals don't seem to have a plan if they're going back to Dalton as a starter. Yeah, I had some energy. So, you know, I think this sparked at least some discussion for everyone and that they're going back to Andy Dalton. Here we are again. So let's get into that. Andy Dalton will get his chance to break Ken Anderson's all-time touchdown passing record for the Cincinnati Bengals as he will be starting for the rest of the season, according to Zach Taylor, who says he does not see a change coming. Dalton was one touchdown pass away from passing Ken Anderson. He currently sits tied at the top of that record book. So he should pass him at some point. Uh, the offense has been bad with Dalton through eight games, but it got worse. You couldn't believe it'd get worse, but it it got much, much worse with Ryan Finley at quarterback. He was the worst starting quarterback in the league. This was apparent for everyone. I think we all knew it and expected it, but the entire football world got to see it over the last three weeks, and it just became to the point where I think everyone would say the same thing, that they could have won the last two games with a competent quarterback. And when you have one on the bench, I think it's hard to keep the locker room in check, keep everyone focused, and you can't keep towing the line that we're trying to win when the opportunity to win was sitting on the bench. Especially when you're vocally saying that in all of your press conferences, we're going to win a game. We have to win a game. Being 0-11 is unacceptable. Whatever he's been saying... To his credit, I guess, if this is something worth crediting a guy for, he has been very careful with his words. When asked after the Pittsburgh loss whether Finley would be the quarterback going forward, he said, Ryan's our quarterback for this game. And he, to his credit, did not commit to Finley going forward. So he has been true to his word for whatever that means. But now it means we're going back to Andy Dalton. Cordy Glenn will be playing left tackle. John Ross is a week away. And who knows, maybe this is all we need to get A.J. Green back on the field. And that's something that I think we will need to watch because if A.J. Green comes back, we're going to have this narrative that, okay, he was just waiting for a quarterback out there. He didn't want to play with Finley. I don't think any of that 
is remotely true, but that is going to be a narrative if AJ Green plays this week. Yeah, they showed him during the telecast this past week against the Steelers and showed him working out before the game. He was running around on cones, catching. He looks close. And again, he's been close two other times, but he had a setback each time. So we'll have to see if it's this week. If not, it's next week. But I do think he's going to play at some point this year. So we should take a moment here to talk about why exactly it was Finley got benched before we get into the outlook for this week against the Jets. Finley, like you said, Joe, worst quarterback in the NFL. He completed less than 50% of his passes, had two games when he was deep in the 40s. Lowest adjusted completion percentage in the NFL. That's a PFF metric that takes into account dropped passes, thrown away passes, and passes that were batted at the line of scrimmage. He was worse than Dwayne Haskins, worse than Cam Newton, who's having a very bad year. Worse than even the other guy completing less than 50% of his passes, Brandon Allen out in Denver. Right, and I looked at him historically, and for the for rookies that played three games, uh, Ryan Finley had the 13th lowest completion percentage in history. So completing 47% of your passes should not happen in any – your backup, I don't care if you're a rookie, there's also Brandon Allen doing the same thing now in Denver, and I expect he's on his way to getting benched for Drew Locke at any point now. So this is just unacceptable at a league level. This isn't just the Bengals at, in this point not knowing what to do at quarterback. It's you cannot trot that guy out there anymore. Yeah, and if Drew Locke wasn't on the injured reserve until this point in the season, he would absolutely be playing at this point unless something had gone catastrophically wrong with his development because when you have a quarterback that's completing less than 50% of their passes, there's only so much of that a coach can handle. And on top of that for Finley, ball security was a major issue. Four fumbles in three games is an astronomically high rate. And yes, some of those were quick pressures Maybe you want to blame the offensive line for some of that. But even if the quarterback gets hit, it's his job to hang on to the ball. And he did not do a very good job of that either. In addition to putting the ball in harm's way when he threw it several times, he threw several dropped interceptions while he was starting. So for all of you that wanted to see Ryan Finley, we have seen him. He has been judged and he has not been deemed worthy of continuing to start in the NFL. The other note here, while I mentioned that adjusted completion percentage, Cam Newton, for those of you that would like Cam Newton to come in and start in the Bengals to draft Chase Young and sign Cam Newton, the free agent quarterback, he's also bottom four in the NFL in adjusted completion percentage. So Cam would have to really turn around, I think, in terms of health, if that's the direction you want to go. He'd have to get healthy, yeah. So that's the big thing there. But uh, yeah, for Finley, to just one more point, uh, he probably is leading the league. We won't get these numbers at the end of the year, but he's probably leading the league in interceptable passes and just off these three games. I mean, there could have been, counting just off memory, there were six coming into this week. There were maybe four more added to that. It's just, you, at this point, you can't play him. I think he's hurt the entire offense, even though... I think the offense has started to evolve into a more empty set. They've been splitting the, the running backs out. They've been playing both running backs together. They've gotten the run game going to an extent. I think the passing game, and that's how you win in today's NFL, uh, is at the point right now where it just they couldn't go any further. Yeah, I think that is worth noting. The offense on the whole did get better with Ryan Finley on the field, but it wasn't because of Ryan Finley being on the field. The running game got some stuff figured out when they changed up the scheme, started using some different personnel, started using some different designs in the running game. 
The screen game, still a disaster. Passing game, still a disaster. But getting A.J. Green, getting John Ross back, this offense could finally start to look good down the stretch. And that could be a product of health, a product of changing scheme. That doesn't change the fact that this team needs a quarterback going forward. And more than likely, that's the way this offseason is going to go. Attention past, present, and future MyBookie players. During Thanksgiving week, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. I know this is a Bengals podcast, but this is free money. Choose a team against the spread for up to $250, and if you win, congratulations, you've got extra holiday spending money. If you lose, well, congratulations to you as well, because MyBookie will give you all your money back. It's a no-brainer because you literally can't lose. It's no risk, all gravy, Joe. Just log on to mybookie.ag and make your first deposit with promo code LOCKED ON, and mybookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar to jumpstart your bankroll, and that's on top of the risk-free bet. Let me repeat, that's a guaranteed deposit match and a risk-free bet for Thanksgiving only. So if you're a true football fan, you do not want to let this opportunity pass you by. You simply cannot lose. Go over to mybookie.ag, make your deposit with promo code locked on for that free deposit match. MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. This is Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints. This podcast is brought to you by Carvana. In the age of online retailers, buying a car should be no different. And that's why Carvana invented a brand new way for you to buy a car. That's 100% online. Without leaving the comfort of your couch, you can browse and buy from their selection of almost 20,000 cars. And once you've made the purchase, your car comes to you, delivered right to your door, or you can go and pick it up from one of the coin-operated car vending machines. All of Carvana's cars come with a seven-day return policy, ensuring that you get a car that fits perfectly with your life. Not happy? Exchange it or return it for a full refund. And with its dedication to customer service, it's why hundreds of thousands of customers have ditched the dealership and given Carvana 4.7 stars in customer satisfaction. So check it out, the nation's fastest growing auto retailer at Carvana.com, C-A-R-V-A-N-A.com, Carvana.com. So news real quick, Alex Redmond tore his bicep. He's going on IR. The Bengals should get Darius Phillips back. I imagine that'll just take his spot this week as they activate him fully from IR, even though he's been practicing. So just to clean those up and before we move on, I know some people are probably wondering how did Billy Price play? How did Cordy Glenn play? And for the most part, I think they did exactly what we expected. Billy Price, based on PFF, graded as he has basically all year long. And Cordy Glenn was their best pass protector, despite giving or being charged, I should should say, with four pressures and one sack. He was their best pass protector and was a horrible run blocker by their accounts. I didn't notice it as bad as as they did, uh, but again, they're focusing on them every single play. And they're looking at those one-on-one matchups, which are always easy to isolate on the offensive line. The defense, though, again, if we want to start with positives and then... I feel like we've talked about most of the negatives, but we can come back to the specifics if we need to later. The defensive line, again, played really well. And Carlos Dunlap, again, was out there for 63 of the team's 72 defensive snaps, just playing a ton. Geno Atkins, 57 of 72, also playing a ton. Both of them played pretty well. Geno had six total pressures. Carlos Dunlap graded well across the board. Four pressures, had four other stops. 
Andrew Billings, again, grades really well. Josh Tupo grades really well. So they are set at nose tackle if they retain oh, yeah. Andrew Billings. Because even Renault Renton, did you say that? That he played, uh, I mean, the, a 49 overall for him, but he got a 67 as a tackler and a 74 as a pass rusher, even though he only rushed the passer four times. I noticed him a couple times while watching, so that's why I wanted to go and check their grade. They didn't love him versus the run this week, but still... For a 49, we talked about how the rookies are grading poorly before we started recording. A 49 is not bad, all things considered. It's it's bad, Joe. But well, I just mean in comparison to the rest of the rookies, how they're how they're grading out. Well, in this game in particular, Jermaine Pratt Finally. improves in a couple of areas. His coverage grade back to an average spot yep. in the mid 60s, and his tackling grade solid as ever. Renell Red targeted though, one time. So in in pass coverage, which is good because he's been targeted the last few weeks. He he had been picked on prior to this week. I do want to go back to Renell Ren because, like you said, only four pass rush snaps, but on those four snaps, produces two hurries. So right. that is a pretty good little win rate for Renell Ren. It's interesting though; they're using him again, still almost exclusively in that three lineman look. He is playing. He's playing the inside end. So right. if they have an outside end and an inside end and a nose tackle, he is the inside end. Right. That, that's like the backup to Geno because that's what Geno's doing when, if he's out there in a three D tackle look. Uh, so which is – he should be more of an under tackle based on the other guys they have because they have two really big nose tackle types in Tupo and Billings. Even though Ren's huge also, he's the most athletic of those guys. Yeah. Also, you were right. Nick Vigil has another solid yeah. game. Easy, easy his... 70 overall. Good tackling grade. Really cleaning up the tackling, which is what you want to see from him because that was one of the biggest holes in his game. Just as uh, you're saying that, because I have Lamar Jackson, two touchdowns now to Marquise Hollywood Brown. They're off 14 nothing on the Rams. Man, my fantasy week could be going even better. I got Hollywood on the bench. Oh, man. You're right. You could have killed. Could have put him in over D.D. Westbrook and scored 200 points this week. So on Nick Vigil real fast, of his last four games, here are his grades overall. And i start with this week, 69, 74, 46, obviously bad, 67. So three of those four are actually above average performances. And when you consider the issues that the Bengals have had with communication, with guys just knowing what their responsibilities are supposed to be when certain coverages are called... It looks like something might be crystallizing here down the stretch because this is some consistent play. I mean, given this week is against a very, very bad defense, it isn't going to exploit many of your mistakes. But you do have to appreciate the trends when they happen. It's still guys trying to play professional football out there, Mm -hmm. regardless of, of what you think the quality actually is. And I guess we should probably mention Hardy Nickerson, right? He only gets nine snaps, but grades out at an 87. So good for Hardy Nickerson. I remember one run stop in particular, he gets a tackle for a loss, and yep. uh, he was very, very excited about that. He should be. It's good for him. So we want to move over to the offensive side. There's really just one player that grades really well, and it, it was obviously Tyler Boyd. Um, he took over at least that one drive, had a couple other catches, had one over 100 yards and a touchdown on the day. No surprise there. Uh, the big thing for him was a sort of drop, that was kind of on his back hip on a third down play. He's probably was stopped short anyways. And then the obvious one was the fumble. Yeah. 
And if he doesn't have the fumble, then his grade probably looks much, much better. Yeah. Erickson also had a pretty solid ga- game. I was going to say bottom two were Bobby Hart and Ryan Finley, because of course they were. Yeah, I mean, that certainly isn't a surprise. Finley with a 26.5 passing grade. Mm. That is bad. For a second, if I can, on Bobby Hart, he gave up six pressures in a sack. Um, It it caused me to go look at his season. Because remember, we kind of, well, no, I should say it this way. The team sold us the idea that they could make him better or that he would play at least marginally better based on age, based on production, based on Jim Turner. All the wrong reasons, right? So he's played now 723 snaps on the year. This is, uh, he was 994 last year. So he's getting close. He's on pace to, to hit that again. So a comparable for overall grade, he was, he's down to a 52 from a 56. His pass blocking is down from a 63 to a 60. His run blocking is down from a 54 to a 49. He gave up 10 sacks total last year, just five so far this year. Just five, I'm saying. Uh, but pressures, total last year, 39. This year, he's already given up 36 pressures. 11 penalties last year, he's got eight right now. He's on pace to be as bad, if not worse, than last season. Yeah, sounds like he's on pace to be a little bit worse, but so is the entire offensive line. I mean, across the board, except Trey Hopkins, who didn't have his finest week, he has struggled against the length and strength of the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens, both of whom have really good, huge, long, athletic inside linemen. And this this week was no exception to that rule. Really not much good to talk about. So on Hopkins, looking at the trend for him, um, you know, he starts off the year with a 77 grade, and then he goes to a 68, and then a 66. He hasn't touched those three scores yet. He he did get a 65 last week, uh, but that's surrounded by a 44 and a 50. He's been trending downwards. And you kind of wonder, we talked about this, where he's now at 735 snaps. This is He eclipsed his career high in a season. He could be wearing down a little bit. This is a guy that's been in the league for a long time, but he's hasn't been a starter. He's been uh, dealing with injuries the first few years of his career and then was just a spot starter the last two years. He also is surrounded by absolute Garbage. chaos. And yeah. so you would expect there to be some struggles that go along with that. Mm-hmm. The other That's thing right. about centers is that I think PFF grading across the board for centers is down this year. Mm-hmm. So there is some weird adjustment happening at the center position with PFF grades. So for him, a 60 might be comparable to a 70 for a tackle. And I don't really know why that is. But if you look at the top centers in the league, either centers 75. have gotten worse. Yeah. Or the the way they're grading centers is just resulting in lower overall numbers than a tackle or a guard might get. Yeah, he's still about 20, between 17 and 20 right now for overall for center. So it's still at this, you know, it's not overall grade. Yeah, but ranking against other centers, he's still slipping to the back of the half. So just for fun, and fun might be the wrong word, went back and looked at Russell Bodine's grades and ranks. And his grades are higher because, again, I think they've changed the way that this has graded out a little bit. But his ranks... In 2017, I think was his highest ranked year. He was the 23rd best center in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus, with a 66.3. A 66.3 this year would be sixth in the NFL, so that's why I say something has definitely changed in the way they're evaluating and grading offensive centers. But 
at least a few places better for Trey Hawkins, who's currently 19th versus Bodine's best season at 23rd. So you could say they need a center, but you could also say, well, Trey Hopkins, if you put a better offensive line around him, because Bodine did have a better offensive line around him, at least a guard for many of those years, and he'll probably play a little bit better. Yeah, as you're saying with PFF grades, they are kind of not comparable through the years because I started to go look at John Miller. He's at 533 snaps. He had 885 for the Bills last year. Uh, Last year for the Bills, he had five penalties, 30 pressures, and one sack given up. This year, he's got two penalties, so he's down from five to two. Uh, Pressures, he's half of how many pressures he had with Buffalo, and he's given up one more sack. But his gradings, I mean, his pass block dropped from a 71 to a 56, but just it looks like off the raw numbers, he's having a comparable, if not maybe even slightly better year. Some of that could also be actual regression. He's losing. Yeah, losing reps that aren't leading to pressure, sacks, whatever, but... Hard to say because we do not get the peak behind the PFF curtain. It's just very noticeable when in 2017, the highest graded center, Jason Kelsey, has a 94. And in 2019, the highest graded center is Frank Ragno with a 74. Don't you say that name. Something has changed. Why would you say that name? Ben Jones is the second highest graded center for Tennessee, 71.8. Interesting. I mean, something, something weird is going on there. Yeah, their, their grades, especially for run blocking, are way, way low. When you see them, everyone just seems like they are, you know, very average, if not below. Mm-hmm. Hey, what's happening? It's your boy Q, host of the Locked On Raiders podcast. And I hope you guys feasted on the MyBookie Turkey Day free play that allowed users to grab themselves a risk-free bet up to $250. It was basically a free shot at trying to double your money. If you didn't get in on that, what are you doing? No, nah, but seriously, now is the time to get some skin in the game with my bookie, where odds boost, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with the NFL playoffs right around the corner, we know who these teams are. We know what they're capable of, and it's not difficult to find some value in the lines. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with MyBookie for years, there is no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, at MyBookie, the doors never close, so you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use promo code LOCKEDON to get your deposit match halfway all the way up to 1000 bucks. The terms are simple. You put in $200, they'll match you with another $100 in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at MyBookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me, switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't wanna do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell EMC solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash Dell EMC. So Andy Dalton reinserted into the lineup. I think some fans are concerned for the long-term picture. That's what motivated me to write for The Athletic tonight. As it happened, I pounded that out pretty quickly. 
But uh, my idea or my thoughts on it are, yeah, I'm a little bit nervous. I kind of come back down to earth when I realize he was 0-8 and one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the league before getting benched. I mean, there was a reason he was benched. It wasn't like they were benching some good quarterback at the time. He wasn't playing well. The offense was anemic, and they weren't scoring points. So it's not like all of a sudden he's going to go out there and and play well. Chances are he's still going to be the worst quarterback based on who they face for the rest of the year, and I only say that based on numbers. I mean, Sam Darnold is playing well right now. Baker Mayfield's playing much better. They both, both both of those teams have won three games in a row. Sure, I feel like those both the Jets and the Browns are due to fumble because that's how they are as an organization, and I think that's the scary part. The game or the season or the likelihood of picking number one is going to come back right to where we expected it, right? It's going to come back to that Dolphins game week 16. If the Bengals have one win going into that game, it's going to be really scary. If they have no wins going into that game, it can be relaxing. It could be fun. We can root for a win, and we can all enjoy that a little bit differently. But then week 17 for the Browns, who look like they're getting it back together again, could be a situation where we knock them or end their season uh, prematurely. Yeah, so the Browns have won three in a row, like you said. The Jets not only have won three in a row, but have scored 35 points a game in doing so Mm -hmm. and just took apart the Raiders, a team that had no real issues, despite the Bengals' defense putting up a bit of a fight against Cincinnati a couple weeks ago. So I I feel like the Jets game, which once looked like one of those scary winnable games, doesn't look terribly winnable to me as it stands right now. They have put something together on offense. Sam Darnold has found a rhythm. They still have Le'Veon Bell, who likes to torment the Bengals, so... We'll see how all that goes. Seeing that he won't get the stiff arm. He won't get the stiff arm blue chew, Drake Kirkpatrick. Not this week, but maybe Darius Phillips, who we're hoping is starting in that or spot on the field. Right? At least getting some reps. Give him a hundred percent of the snaps, please. Like they're not even going to Tony McRae though. Have you noticed this? Like they've cut off all of his snaps. He was getting some throughout the year and, and then there were some injuries, so he had to play. But then they're like, okay, that's enough of you. We're Our evaluation is finished with you, like kind of his with Ryan well, Finley. Where would they play him too, right? Like he would be taking stats from BW Webb, which would be fine. Nobody would care about that. But Denard is playing well in the slot. So they're not going to take their best corner off the field for McRae. They had a rotation like, earlier in the year where they would just say, okay, McRae, here's a, you know, I would notice some intermittently where, I'd, and that's how Phillips got on the field, remember? There was no one getting hurt there. It was, oh, Phillips is out there for Webb. Oh, Phillips is out there for Kirkpatrick. I think they'd give him a few plays off here or there instead of getting him out there for 100%. William Jackson just played 100% of the snaps, which I think is the first time all year for him. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's still different when you've got a guy who's, I mean, Denard is a big reason the defense is ticking right now. That's a big reason oh, yeah. they're better. He's covering well in the slot. He's playing the run really well. He had a couple missed tackles this week, which is uncharacteristic for him, but he has made a big difference to this How were they getting attacked before, right? It was on the edge, and yeah. it was with the corners that weren't tackling. And Kirkpatrick's been out of there, so that he hasn't been getting attacked as much. William Jackson's been playing the run better. But then you insert Darquez Denard, and he's actually a force. He's like Leon Hall was in, in the slot. He you throw a screen that way, you try to run that way, he's going. He's like an extra safety coming down and setting the edge. It really does help to have him out there. You're right. I, I don't want to say that he's as good as Leon Hall was. Leon no. Hall, Hall was great. Was great. Had one year where he was easily the best slot corner in the NFL. 
yep. felt great about Leon Hall. Still feel great about Leon Hall. But we were talking about Andy Dalton and his return to the starting lineup. So looking at the remaining schedule, a lot of Bengals fans feel like they might beat the Browns. I I mean, maybe that's a little bit more likely now that Miles Garrett isn't going to play, but I still think that their pass rush and defense is going to be good enough. And I feel like their offense is definitely going to be good enough. I mean, they still have Odell Beckham. They still have Chubb. They still have, I mean, they got, uh, what's his name back? Kareem Landry Hunt. just scored two touchdowns. Yeah. Well, they got Kareem Hunt back from suspension too. So now they're deep at running back. Baker's playing better. Offensive yep. line playing a little bit better. Yeah, the 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 defense the Bengals might score some points in those games, especially if AJ Green and John Ross are back and, and Cordy Glenn's playing, but I I don't think that they're gonna be able to hang for a full game with what the Browns should be able to do on offense. And you make a good point that the Browns could just be the Browns. And if the Bengals say they beat Miami, then come back, play the Browns the next week to kick them out of the playoffs, and maybe. But if they kick the Browns out of the playoffs, that also means the Steelers probably get in. So I don't know. What what do you want there? I don't know. I looking at the I have looked at the AFC uh, slate. I was driving around today, going places and listening to local radio talking about the Bills, and Bills are almost a lock at this point to make the playoffs. But they were talking about the other teams, and it was the Browns, the Titans, who were on fire with Ryan Tannehill, uh, the Raiders, and the Steelers. And I'm just like, oh, that's so gross, whoever that last seed is for the AFC. But what a bad year to not be competitive for the Bengals because the AFC really is open for business with these, uh, with the bottom, or at least the last two wildcard slots, it looks like. But, yeah, to get back on Dalton, I still think – it's likely now that it's much more likely that they're going to win a game, right? Because Finley was that bad. You can't win a game with Ryan Finley the way he was out there. But I kind of felt like that was the goal or the option or, or at least part of the plan. The only sign we got that the Bengals were looking at the future was when Dalton talked. We talked about this before, and he yeah. said, uh, you know, we have to look at the draft. We have to look at the future. And I thought, this is it. They're in. They're in on this. Ryan Finley's going to go out there, and he's going to blow it, and this is going to be excellent, and we're just going to have to get through it. And they'll probably stumble into a win because the NFL is weird, but they weren't. And I think people have asked, you think this is a move to get the locker room back on a side? I completely think it is. Uh, you can't keep putting those players out there when they don't believe their quarterback is giving them the best chance to win. It's it saps the energy. When a quarterback's playing well or playing with some swag or, or there's confidence in the offense, there's guys that will do things that you've never seen them do before. When you get someone that you just don't believe at all in, I mean, 0%, the the play starts dragging. I actually commend Tyler Boyd and Joe Mixon for playing as hard as they were and trying to put the team on their back, especially like last week. Uh, but look at the Raiders game when the energy was just so low after that one drive that Mixon scored. It just seemed like everyone was walking around being zombies out there because they just did not believe their quarterback could do anything. I mean, you look at Joe Mixon's tweet. I think that tells you all you need to know. When a player publicly, let's fucking go red rifle, hashtag LFG, hashtag red rifle at Andy Dalton 14. I mean, that's as clear as day. Joe Mixon was not on board with Ryan Did you see Finley Jermaine starting. Pratt's? I saw Jermaine, Jermaine Pratt. Pratt, yeah. Somebody yeah, called Jermaine like... Pratt bad, and Jermaine Pratt was like, no. thanks for adding. Oh, something else? <laughs> yeah, he actually – there was that, yes. But there was also um, – he said, "We uh, better days are coming or sunnier days are coming. We just had to weather the storm, yada, yada. And it's like, all right, I think we're getting the, the feeling of what's 
how the locker room was looking at this. I didn't personally read it that way. I, I, I read that because he's a defense player, right? I read it as like he's he feels like he's starting to play a little bit better. He feels like he's getting more run because he got his you know probably his biggest snap count in the game, played a little bit better. Um, yeah, maybe, I can see it that way too. Maybe also just like it's darkest before the dom or zero oh, and eleven, but but don't you think the defense after the two, those two performances and come oh, yeah, away without a win? Right, they've got it. If if it's not the offense knocking on Zach Taylor's door, it's might be the defensive leaders. Like, yo, we just put fucking two shutouts out there, basically, for all intents and purposes. We, you tell me, we'll go seventeen and sixteen, and we can't get any type of support. Yeah, it's not a place you like to be. But like you said, it's not like Andy Dalton was setting the world on fire. I think that we all know that he has the tools to be a better quarterback than Ryan Finley, who doesn't look like he belongs in the NFL right now with the arm strength issues, the pocket presence issues, the ball security issues. Dalton doesn't have some of those. He has at least an average arm. He doesn't have a major fumbling problem the way that Finley does. Seems like half the time he gets hit, he's dropping the ball. And... Yeah, he's had issues in the pocket this year, but he's been able to manage it okay in the past, and we'll see how it goes, I guess, the rest of the way here. And we'll find out Wednesday if A.J. Green is going to get any practices in Wednesday, Thursday this week. That's the two last points for me. Number one, if A.J. Green is back, we the number splits for Dalton are basically backup quarterback versus average starter with A.J. Green in and out of the lineup. Having that support for him, he's two different kind of guys. Yeah. And that's the scary part, I think, because you could get John Ross back. You got um, Cordy Glenn on the left tackle. This You might put up 30 in one of these games. I think 23 is the most they put up this season. So uh, there is potential there if things go right. If Dalton automatically reverts to regular Dalton with A.J. Green, then things get weird. But And then the other one is for Ryan Finley. If he's not playing at all this year because Dalton doesn't get hurt or whatever – I don't know he's your backup next year. I think you, if part of the evaluation is we need to see uh, Ryan Finley and see if he's the backup to Joe Burrow, if that's the case, I think you don't feel comfortable with that anymore. Not even a little bit. I mean, maybe you say, can you go get your arm right? But maybe I did a mock draft last night just for fun. And I, I took Tua because I still want Tua at number one. But then in the fourth round, Jake Fromm was still there. And I was like, okay. Perfect. I'll, I'll definitely do the the Ryan Griffin, Kirk Cousins treatment in this draft. I also took two tackles. I got I got Wills. Who's the other tackle? Oh, Sam Cosme, who will never be there in the fifth round where I took him. It's November. You, you get some slack on these yeah. mock drafts. November mock drafts do not count. <laughs> That's what I I've, we've had questions on on the mailbag and question. I received one today of. And he's day two targets. I'm like, man, we, we don't even know where to put these guys or rank them yet. No, I'm not even close to that. We still have. I, I, I have a couple. Have oh, sure. I, I think both Alabama tackles at the top of round two are, are potentially in play. And you know why? Because this and we kind of answer this. It's expected that this tackle class is extremely deep. Looks good. Yeah. Like these guys are going to be available at 33 if the Bengals are there. And that's. Again, one of the reasons I want to pick ahead of, the, ahead of the Dolphins, there's one team with the worst offensive line than the Bengals this year. It's the Miami Dolphins. They may be mirroring what the Bengals do. Quarterback, first round, tackle, and sec- in the second round. You want to pick ahead of these guys. You don't want yeah. to be tied with two wins or whatever yeah. uh, and be behind them. So if you could end up in the top of there. Just like this year, there was a lot of good tackles in the f- top half of round two. You get there, you draft another tackle after Joe Burrow. You feel much better about this line in the situation. 
Yep. And there will be more than likely one of those tackles at the top of round two. And if it's not a tackle, maybe it's a wide receiver. This is a very, very good wide receiver class. So when you talk about targets on day two, those are a couple things that stand out. But the one the one knock I got on the little mock I posted, which was mostly a joking mock in the first place, because all of them are in November, is you didn't get a linebacker. Well, not a very good linebacker class. Yep, and again, you want to insert a third-round linebacker again? Let's roll that dice again. It's not going to change unless they go out and sign a guy. That's where they're at. I think even for them, it's going to be hard to deny going out and signing a linebacker. Like they did early in Marvin Lewis's tenure, they went out and they signed on Thornton, Torrey James. You know, they acquired Delta O'Neal. They made moves to acquire defensive talent. Kevin Hardy, sure. They, They made moves to acquire defensive talent because they needed to. Yeah. And they built through the draft and they made some big moves in free agency and they got complacent. And like I've said so many times this year, they need to change. Don't forget my underrated dude, Carlton Powell. Dwayne Clemens. Okay. You're shaking your head. You have I no know idea. Dwayne Clemens. Carlton Powell, man. Come on, from the Redskins. Uh, Marvin brought him over with him. How long did he play for the Bengals? Ah, two years. He was a, he was a carry win type signing. But he actually played and, you know, had contributed somewhat. I forgot Kerry Vaughn was on the team. That's probably going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We'll be back with a crossover episode tomorrow with the New York Jets. And then we're off for Thanksgiving. But on Thursday night, I am going to have Mike Renner back on from PFF. He's their college guru, their top 100 draft guy. We're going to talk Joe Burrow because... I just want more Joe Burrow takes, somebody to talk me into why outside of your injury-prone arguments that fall on deaf ears because I don't believe in injury-proneness unless there's an actual degenerative injury documented. Anyway, we're going to talk about Joe Burrow. So look forward to that the rest of this week. That's the only substitute for Blue Chew. And that's what we're here for. Have a good one, Bengals fans. Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first-round wild-card exit of epic proportions? Did you think that the Reds hitting would come around with the signings that they made last offseason? Are you wondering who is asking you all of these questions? Hi, my name is Jeff Carr, and I host the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, Every day throughout the offseason, I'm going to take a look at these Reds, how they fix what didn't work in 2020 and how they continue their success in 2021. But wait, there's more. I'll also have interesting interviews with players, writers and everyone in between talking about the Cincinnati Reds. Come join me on the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day.